Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today at the Business Creators Radio Show. Again, please be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Today's conversation is something you're definitely going to want to go back and listen to at least a couple more times. I urge you right now, before we get started, to make sure you have in front of you a pad of paper and two pens. The reason I say two pens, by the way, is because just when you're capturing that aha moment, that thing that's going to give you that edge that's going to move you forward, your pen could run out of ink. You could have something happen that causes the pen to just otherwise not work. You get that thing where you're trying to write on the paper and it just doesn't show ink. Or if you're like me and you have feline supervisors, one of them could grab the pen and make off with it just when you need it. So pad of paper, two pens, take that home with you. You can use it in your own trainings. Today, we're going to discover how to build brand equity. I'm all about the branding. In my podcast, Reach System, we work with people to host and launch their podcasts as their networking, their networking, client attraction, and celebrity branding tool. So brand is very important to me. And I also know that brand is so much more than simply picking your fonts and your colors for your logo. It gets into marketing. It gets into conversation. It gets into how you relate to the market and how you relate to the people within this to make you make a difference for your community, market, and audience. See, I'm so excited here. And today, we have somebody who I almost couldn't believe that we were able to get this guy on the show. He's so awesome. Just haven't checked him out already. His name is Kyle Duford. He specializes in crafting outstanding experiences for global brands. As a former magazine editor, he spent much of his 20 plus year career in the outdoor and active lifestyle, fashion and sports industries through the e-commerce and digital lens for brands such as Nike, Doc Martens, Keen, Lululemon, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Power Bar, Ariat, Chrome Industries, Noon, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and others. See, I don't know every brand out there. Kyle's unique blend of design, branding, and digital best practices lends itself to creating and leading some of the world's leading brands. A bold, no BS charismatic speaker, the type I like on this show, with a pendant for hitting brand sweet spots. He brings his experience to any size audience on topics ranging from business growth to branding, digital marketing, trends, positioning, and more. Most recently, he has been speaking about the future state of retail in a post-pandemic world and the complexities of global brand expansion in this environment. You can check out his website at www.thebrandleader.com. And at this point, Kyle Duford, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. 
Awesome. Awesome. Before we get into some of the great things you're going to share with us today, what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio is take a step back. I read your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here with you and it's my show. So uh, what we like to do is just get a little bit more about your personal story and your own tale and how that drove you and brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah. Wow. Um, first of all, I have already violated your rule. I only have one pen with me and uh, I was that guy in high school <laughs> to borrow paper and pens. From- <laughs> so, uh, but I like that. I might steal that in the future. Um, yeah. Gosh, uh, my, my story is bizarre uh, and unworthy. You're very kind with your words. You absolutely deserve to be here with me. I'm the one who should be looking up to you. Uh, the, uh, you know, I started off um, not knowing what I wanted to do uh, in my life. And somehow I ended up in magazines um, and well, I didn't end up there. I tried to be a magazine writer and everyone would say, Hey kid, have you ever written before? I'm like, no, but I, you know, I liked the topic and I can write, I think. And they said, yeah, get lost. And so I started my own magazine instead, um, which was foolish. Uh, it was in the triathlon world. So I uh, started a triathlon publication and started writing and, and doing some good stuff. Uh, it, it got bought by a competitor. Uh, and then afterwards, I went back to those same magazines and said, hey, can I write for you now? And they went, oh my gosh, you're the guy who was the editor of that magazine? Absolutely. And, and, and it was the first time I looked at life and said, okay, nothing changed for me. I didn't go have more schooling or anything. I'm the same guy, but it was just this, having this label on me all of a sudden opened doors. And, and that just showed me a lot. Uh, from then, gosh, I went into, uh, I saw the writing on the wall for magazines. So I went into online content. Um, from there, I went into e-commerce because I started to be able to tell a story with great design and learning analytics and online stuff. And all of a sudden, I became this kind of weird amalgam of different types of marketing and traffic drivers and understanding the sales uh, process. And really what it ended up being was I learned how to tell a good brand story. And so that's where I am today. Wow, that's that's awesome. And I've discovered this myself in working with clients. It's one thing to go to conferences and go to networking events and you have your business card. However, if you have a publication, if you have something that invites people to consume the content and follow it, you can have a way different conversation with your audience. One of my clients is a podcast host and she had the most interesting happen thing happen to her a couple years ago when she went to her industry's major annual event. It was happened to be right here in Las Vegas, so I got to meet up with her. She had a very interesting discovery that she was there to promote her business, obviously, and get consulting clients for a consulting firm, things along those lines. However, she also has an online publication that shares insights within her industry, and it has weekly articles, it has a podcast attached to it, and some other such assets. And again and again and again, people would run up to her because they follow her weekly e-newsletter and they listen to her podcast and just wanted to tell her how much they enjoyed getting her e-newsletter and getting her podcast and sharing their thoughts on it. Those conversations went a lot further than, uh, so what do you do there, Carl or Kyle? Right. Yeah. So that's one of the, that, so that goes into personal celebrity branding, which is something that we should all be doing. However, 
beyond that, you have some things you want to share with us, both in the retail space and also looking more globally. You gave us about five or six different areas you'd like us to cover. So we'll go through those probably in order, but we'll see where the conversation goes. First yeah. of all, um, I know you have some insights on this whole thing with the post-pandemic world and God, if it doesn't get here soon, right. I'm telling you. <laughs> so let's start with you know, your vision of what's going on with retail and e-commerce, which in the superficial view of many has taken a major hit mm-hmm. and how we're going to move into this post-pandemic world, which really needs to be here like the day before yesterday. Right. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, yeah. I can't- I can't even imagine in uh, in the town you're in the the damage it has done to the economy. Uh, yeah, you know it's it's interesting because it, it's not like we changed fundamentally. You know, we still needed to shop. We still needed to to get you know the basic care items we needed, food, diapers, whatever. But it's how we went about getting them. And obviously, we know the horror stories of going and and unfortunately not finding toilet paper and paper towels and, and things like that, yep. which you know, subsided after a little bit. But what was really remarkable was people who never shopped online before, or which sounds crazy, right? But um, my parents, for example, or people who just were reluctant to give their credit card information online, or oh, just like that human touch in a store, all of a sudden had to go online. And people right. who were using things like, you know, ordering Walmart at home or, or, you know, Target pickup in the parking lot now became the norm. And so, Everything moved from, you know, this old model, which had been dying anyway. We know traffic has been declining in, in malls and, and retail stores for some time, uh, partially because of, uh, partially because of e-commerce and, and the proliferation of the internet and, and opportunities there, but also because of big box retailers and, and so forth. You know, that's kind of a long story that's been told for a while. But now all of a sudden, people were going, "Hey." I can order my dog food online. Uh, okay, I'll do that. Um, and obviously, we know Amazon, and you know this isn't new stuff. But in the sheer masses and numbers that people were doing this, it just changed everything. And so it's one of those deals where, like, when DVDs came out, people said, "Oh, that's the end of movie theaters." Well, we know that's not what happened. It's it's just we changed our behavior a little bit. We might we might stay home on certain occasions and now go to the movie theater if they're open, uh, on other occasions. So the DVD didn't wipe out movies. It just changed how we appropriated ourselves to them. And it's the same kind of thing with retail. I mean, I obviously love uh, shopping just like anyone else, online, in-store, whatever. Yeah. I like to try things on. My wife loves to try things on. She's a, she's a big shopper. Um, but we also like to window shop and all, you know, and do that kind of like virtual, uh, not, excuse me, not, not virtual, um, the uh, you know the idea of just kind of trying things on and seeing if you like it and then shopping online instead the showrooming that's the word I was looking for so now you're without that opportunity you have to do everything online so now gosh returns have changed and, and you know in the way you can change your plane ticket and all these things that that weren't a thing before now are a thing and now the expectation of that to stay a lot around for a long time is is very prevalent so I just think in general we're going to have a different retail experience. It's kind of here to stay. It's mobile shopping, it's, uh, it's e-commerce shopping, but on steroids. And a lot of the brands that you mentioned that I worked with and for or consulted for that you mentioned at the top of the show, I mean, they're hitting you know, double their growth in a very, very short period of time. And that has changed. Where do you even 
put your inventory? Do you, you know, does the Gap ship their inventory to the stores anymore? Because now they've already gone through a couple seasons during the pandemic um, where, you know, they may have taken all their inventory for spring, summer around maybe February 15th or so. Uh, and then everyone shut down. Well, they were in the stores. So what do you do with that when things open back up, you know, months later, do you clear it out? Do you ship it back to the distribution center? Do you try to, you know, hold on to it for a while? What if it's off trend next time or whatever? So many things changed. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of uh, everything from supply chain down to delivery and returns really be, uh, you know, changing and then really stay around for quite some time, kind of in this new normal. You know, uh, you bring up a, an interesting point, but first of all, I'd like to make a comment. Remember a year ago when uh, if you tried to walk into a business with a mask, then call the police? Yep. And now if you don't, <laughs> but, but anyway, in all seriousness, yep. about a month into that bug thing happening, my printer, which had been with me since the year 2010, in other words, 10 years, decided just basically go defunct on me. It was, mm. uh, it was showing an error. And when I looked up the error online, the best way I can describe how, you know, what you're supposed to do about that particular error, I can phrase it as, well, you can try it, but you're screwed. You're getting a new printer. So I needed a new printer that day. Normally I'd go to someplace like Office Depot or Best Buy, see what they had on the shelf and pick one out, but that wasn't available to me. So, and the other problem that, some of these online retailers have, whether it's the big boxes and even some of the smaller boxes, is the online inventory doesn't always match what's actually on the shelf. So I, and the other thing is I needed a printer that day. I didn't need it three days from then. I needed it that day. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I called my local Best Buy. I told them what I needed in a printer. They recommended a model to me. I went through my checklist of what I needed an all-in-one machine to do. It did all of those things. And so I, so I said, I'll, I'll pick up, a, I'll take a printer and, uh, and I'll also take an extra helping of ink because you always like to have, you always like to be at least one set of cartridges ahead. Yeah. And they said, all right, well, we'll wheel to the front door. Come on down. We'll put it in your trunk. So I get there. And I can see, looking through the doors, that there is a cart, my printer, and my anchor sitting on it, and there's a sign taped to it with my name written on it. Right. Yet, for 20 minutes, I had to argue with them because they kept trying to tell me that I needed to get in some queue. So finally, after the, after the third time that we went through this, and I'm sitting there 20 minutes, I walked back up to the edge of their curb again, and they, tr- and they tried once again with this whole, I got to get in queue. And I said, uh, I spoke with Denise, who I believe that's actually her right inside the door there. If you turn around, you'll see that my printer and my ink are sitting on a cart, and there is a handwritten sign with my name written on it. I'm in your queue. Get me my printer. Right. Right. The reason I bring this up, and, and they they did, because I think they recognized that I was not going to go another 20 minutes without making their day very interesting, and I hated to have to do it. But I think part of what these brands ran into is even brands that have a high commitment to customer service found themselves in a very new world, thrust into systems that even they didn't fully understand. Like, for example, a queuing system. Why would somebody who called the store 
had the thing wheeled to the front door and was told to just come pick it up, then be told they had to go to a website and enter a code. Right. To have it wheeled to their car when it was already on the cart, they were going to use the wheel to the car. Mm-hmm. So there, I think we had a lot of frustrations. And I think that can apply to businesses of all sizes. And when we speak of branding, we think of partially the experience they have. I just chalked it up to them really being in unfamiliar territory. But in normal times, I wouldn't put up with that shit. Well, well you're right. I mean, it's unfamiliar, but it's it's also very basic. You know, so yeah. we gave we gave businesses problems years ago because they weren't digital and now they were forced to go, you know, uh, analog and everyone got upset again. And it's, it's, it was, it was a weird thing for those couple months when, you know, no one knew how long this was going to be. I mean, gosh, we didn't think it was going to be 15, 18 months, you know, later, but no one, everyone thought, Oh, go home for two weeks, shut your doors. It'll be over. I, I think very early on, you know, that was the chatter. And yeah. so businesses were like, Oh, we'll close our doors for a bit we'll be fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything just, it just kind of lingered and, you know, malls uh-huh. and we know obviously restaurants and bars and, and the, the sadness around, you know, those businesses folding and, and lots of not recovering, yep. but those big box places, Best Buy, and, and even some of the mall anchor stores we talked about, they were forced to go backwards. And a lot of them haven't even figured out the entire omni-channel uh, you know, opportunity of, you know, buy online, pick up in store um, was kind of, it's kind of table stakes, but it, you know, it takes a very, very sophisticated infra- infrastructure and kind of system internally to make that work, especially if you want to return to a store, if you bought it online, not just pick it up. And, you know, you're talking about inventory mismatch and, and uh, you know, decrementing inventory and where it comes from, where it goes back to. So now you're saying, hey, forget all that just get me my printer, like your situation. I know it's on the shelf. I, and not only that, you walk up there, you can see it in the glass. It's sitting there. Yeah. And I, I thought it was telling when you said your, your name was handwritten on that. So we kind of went backwards and it was really hard for us, all of us as consumers to kind of forgive them for the, those mistakes. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's it's really interesting to me. Again, we, you know, we shop, uh, you know, a lot. We've, we've got six children. So we're always, you know, you know, 25 years apart from each other. So we're always- oh, yeah. Back and forth and trying to figure things out, you know, going to, you know, Best Buy, Bed Bath and Beyond, you name it, we're out there. And I'm starting to notice now, like these curbside pickups are now, well, now they're getting real signs. They're getting, you know, you know, painted strips in the parking lot and they're getting a dedicated employee to be the one who runs and grabs stuff. I mean, it's, but six, seven months ago, that wasn't the case. It was doing what you're doing. Some of them have mobile apps. You can check your code. Some of them, you get an email with a barcode. You have to scan the barcode, tell them your number. People just didn't know how to go about this. There is no standardization for this pandemic uh, pickup situation. So it's, it's, I just find it fascinating. And I don't think there's any one way to do it now. I think people are going to get used to certain things. I think Target has a really, really nice system uh, picking up and you can just yep. look at you know, your code and so forth. Best Buy is coming around. So there's a lot of there's a lot of interestingness around it, but you're right. It took a long time for us to figure out, you know, is it, an, is it a good experience for me or not to go into these retail stores? Uh, we're not really into them, but going to pick up your products and what does that do? Now you had a difficult experience with Best Buy. It sounds like that's going to erode your confidence in, in, in that business, which, you know, yeah. talking about brand equity, that's exactly what, you know, you want to leverage. And in that case, they're, they're losing some with you. If that yeah. happens at scale, then you're in trouble. I gave him a pass, uh, as I said, but you can imagine that if that happened over and over again, how many people am I just driven off having 
called ahead to have it wheeled to the front door and then being told that uh, they had to get in some queue. Well, uh, you, you think, okay, uh, the person who took the call could put them in the queue. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, what I, what I also said to them when I went up the third time is I said, not only am I in your queue, I'm number one at your queue. So bring me my printer now. That's actually what I said now that I, now that I think about it. <laughs> That's going to linger with you for a while, I think. Yeah. Well, um, and, 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 I, and I, you know, we see these things repeated. And also you have businesses that really aren't always sure of what they're supposed to do. The, the mandates can be confusing. Uh, you have folks that uh, want to argue over certain things. Uh, I, I also had, and I'm not going to belabor this interview with that, but I had a really, really bad experience with a security guard at a hotel where I was attending a seminar who physically got in my face because I had my mask off while I had a straw in my mouth and was sucking on it. Yeah. You know, because there was a drink in a cup for a beverage I just purchased and I was consuming it. There's even in some of the ridiculous states, there's nothing that says that you're somehow supposed to drink through your face covering. That doesn't exist. Right, right. Even even the ones that have the idea that you should move it back and forth a hundred times between bites or between sips. They don't say that you have to somehow go through it because, you know, basic common sense. Yeah, I mean, like, but then, like but then, but then you run in, yeah, then you run into people, and I think the person I was dealing with in that situation was just some power mad person who wanted to push people around. Sure, yeah, yeah, and and, then, and we run and we run into that, and then in the case that we had there is now you have that hotel that uh, has publicity getting out that uh, their guests are getting bullied over nonsense by people who uh, have some little security guard badge. And think that that gives them power over life and death. I mean, this, I mean, this guy was using cop terminology with me, like zero tolerance zones and and uh, must detain and things like that. What detain me? Get the hell out of here! <laughs> but unfortunately, people run into this stuff, and unfortunately, businesses don't always know it's happening until you bring it to their attention and some folks and some folks won't bring it to their attention they'll just storm out me i i was there for the entire day for the congress for the conference i made a point of meeting with three separate security supervisors just to make absolutely sure they were aware of my concerns other folks might have just walked out and never patronized the place again so now you have the businesses and this is you know whether it's retail entertainment whatever it is that are now taking hits on their brand and they don't even know about it. So going back to even pre-pandemic, sometimes the only reviews you get are the bad ones. Yeah, unfortunately. And um, I think people realize that, um, but, you know, especially when you're looking at a service for sure, I think, you know, product-based businesses, I mean, there's definitely reviews on, you know, Amazon and, and, and other major retailers that, you know, serve, serve our needs really well, but you're, no, you're absolutely right. People, people lift up the bad reviews. And I think we've been given a little grace uh, for businesses during the pandemic, especially during the height of the shutdowns, no matter where you are. Yeah. Because I think people understood that, but you know, at some point the frustration is there and you just, you know, like you, you, you want to give up and, and just go to the next thing. So I think it's just a matter of how much you really value the brand. And, you know, we go to the why, 
we go to the YMCA and yeah. we, my wife and I work out every morning religiously. And when they closed, we were like, oh, shoot, what do we do? When they opened, they opened completely differently. They changed their hours. They still haven't brought back Sunday hours. Uh, uh-huh. Everything on Saturdays. And you're like, okay, wait, is that, how is that pandemic related now? So a lot of businesses did different things like that, whether they were trying to cut costs, whatever, but they're not owning up to it. They're not saying, uh, listen, we don't have the money for this or whatever. They're just saying this is because of COVID. And at some point it falls short because it's just very, very thin. Uh, you can just tell that, okay, you're not offering, you know, a lollipop at the, at the bank anymore. That, well, no, that's just saving money. It has nothing to do with, you know, if you hand it one at a time to a kid who walks in, you're, I mean, you're not, you're not really yeah. doing COVID. You're doing this because you're using this to cut corners. Now that's not true of everyone or everything. And maybe that example isn't particularly, um, you know, relevant, but I, I think in general, we, we started giving a lot of grace to businesses, but they didn't necessarily do it back. And the ones who, who you're having a bad experience with, some of the ones that you, you illuminated, you know, tend to be the ones who are going to fall short. Uh, it's the ones that, that really cared for people and cared for the business and were really transparent. Hey, listen, if we don't do carry out, um, you know, take home dinners that we've never done before, but we're going to do it now. If we don't do this and sell 60 a day, we're going to go out of business. That transparency and authenticity not only resonated with people who may have been patrons in the past, but may not have been at all, um, but it resonated with people because it, it brought everything back to a human level. And when you know, you've mentioned a few examples, it seems like it's, there's a little disconnect between the human behind the decisions and the business and the, ultimately the brand and its equity to you. And along that chain, if it falls short, you're, they're going to lose a customer. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of different you know, businesses just really own nationally and locally own um, their honest situation. And, uh, and in the end, that's going to really benefit those particular businesses. Yeah. And, uh, and, for every, and for every uh, story like the ones I've told you, I can also tell you the story of my favorite restaurant here in Las Vegas. I'm not going to say their name uh, because of the story I'm about to tell. Uh, part of, and again, I'm not even sure if this is an effect anymore here in, uh, in Las Vegas as of our conversation here. But uh, for a while, and maybe it's still the case, I don't know. All restaurants were supposed to take reservations. Mm-hmm. Now, this place is a is was kind of my hangout. I, I I go there so often that they actually know what my order is going to be the moment I walk in. So in that case, uh, I could I could go up to them and uh, I could go up to the desk and the and that, the way I could phrase my question is is uh, you got enough numbers to fit me in? And they always do. So. What they do in that case is they just add me to the reservation list and cross my name off because right. there's there's always at least one opening that hasn't been filled by a call-in or something like that. And in a couple of cases where the where the person working the host desk didn't know me, one of the servers would come up and <laughs> say, uh, he's good. Put him down. Let him in. Hmm. Now, do you think I'm going to keep going there? Well, I mean, again, it's your personal Yeah, experience. very much yeah, so. so. Do you, do you, you, do you, do you do you think if you ever come to hang out in Las Vegas and we get together, where do you think we're going to have dinner? Well, of course. I mean, because yeah. again, you're, you, and you haven't said one thing about the food. You said they know your order. You didn't say anything about the food or the decor or anything. You talked yeah. about how they treated you. Yes. And that's a big part of, a, but it's why we call brands emotional connections with consumers. It's not, it's not a thing. It's this, 
it's this, you know, esoteric kind of deal where you just understand it because it's how you feel. And uh, it's, it's a lot of the stuff that you just, you mentioned. Now you add to that, you know, they were, you know, they were dressed well, they were very pleasant. The food was amazing. The place was spotless, you know, and then you just start building your equity there. All those things add yeah. to it. All right. So we're actually about halfway through here. It's so much fun to tell war stories, let me tell you. So let's get into uh, uh, two of the points you want to make here. And I think this will probably take up the entire rest of the time, but it's going to be really good stuff. Uh, first of all, tell us more about how what you call disruptive brands here in the 21st century, now that we're in the third decade of it, are building these emotional connections that actually last. I think it's a good segue to get into that. Yeah, well, a disruptive brand is really just, you know, one that, you know, just kind of comes in and, and, and shakes things up a little bit. Um, you know, one of my favorite ones, you know, this, this in this age of digitally native vertical brands, a great example is Bonobo's uh, men's pants company, uh, Warby Parker is another one, Casper Mattresses. These are kind of like the ones that people look to quite a bit as, you know, the, the archetypes of these, of these kind of brands. The, all these businesses came, they didn't invent pants at Bonobos. They didn't invent, you know, glasses and eyewear at Warby Parker. They just right. did it differently. And they did it differently in a way that in the case of Bonobos, it was, um, you know, guaranteed fit for men who didn't want to go in stores and try things on uh, in multiple different waists and cuts and, uh, and lengths, you know, Warby Parker glasses for like basically a hundred bucks that were really great. And they did the at-home try-on. You talk about Casper mattresses and they deliver a mattress to your house. I mean, that's unheard of. So those things were so weird comparatively to, if you can remember back then, the industries that they came out of, that people started going, wait, wait, what's going on over there? And, and so this kind of like a disruptor brand today is just, it's kind of one that takes, takes risks and chances, but they're, it's an educated risk. It's one that's based on um, an understanding of the customer before they actually go into it. And it, it, it's, they're the most fascinating brands to me because those brands are not, I mean, they become challenger brands as well. You know, ones that are, you know, rising brand that's ends up becoming dominant or in a fight with the, the, that sector's leader, they end up becoming that, but they start as disruptors because they just make so much noise uh, in the process. And they um, they're ones that we, you know, we kind of aspire to work with. They're, they're the ones that are the most exciting because they, they take those chances. Yeah, I think that I think there's a lot to that. And, you know, I mean, me, when it comes to things like buying computers, for example, I can't buy it unless I see it because I, among other things, I got to I got to see for myself that the keyboard illuminates. That's very important to me. And I have to put my hands on the keyboard so I know how it's going to feel typing because mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time online and uh, a lot of time typing. So uh, I, you know, I made this not a mistake once, but I bought a Chromebook and I, I did test it in the store, but I should have tested it more. It's hard for me to use because the keyboard's too small for me. So I mostly use that one to stream videos and read books on, off Kindle. So it has a purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I did miss that one little step there where I should have played with a little more in the store. So the idea of buying a computer online sight unseen is just probably kind of like not going to happen with me. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so for some folks, they do need to see it 
before they buy it. And there are also people who have interesting body types where just because uh, it says it's a size eight dress doesn't mean it's going to fit her size eight body. And that's true. That's yeah, very true. Si- yeah, size eight actually means different things depending on the brand and depending on the cut. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that's why I think if you think about what we talked about earlier, there's always going to be some need for retail stores. And it's and it's exactly why those, those actually those three brands I mentioned, and another one I, I forgot to mention, Peloton is a really, is a kind of a really current one. Yeah. But all of those, all of those brands um, all have uh, a physical presence after they started with their digital presence first. So um, Bonobos went into, into their guide shops, they called them, which were their unique opportunities, but they came at it with data. They know, where their customers are because uh, they started digitally native. And so they had all that information. They knew exactly where to put a store and they followed the Amazon example of when they, Amazon had trialed some of their own bookstores, they knew exactly what people bought. So they only stocked what they knew was going to sell in the area in which they knew people were there to buy it. Now Casper did the same thing. Warby Parker with their try on program. um, After that, they just looked at, you know, the density of population versus the people who came and, and either shopped or, purchase from them and they plop stores right there. So um, it's it's one of those deals where it goes both ways after building a brand and its reputation based on other principles, quality, customer service, uh, time to delivery, fit you mentioned, then you can go back and open up a, a, a retail store. It's the complete opposite of what brands used to do. Yeah. Which was build a store and then go online. And so it's it's really interesting to me that, that it happens that way. And folks like you or for people who well, not just the people, but the products in which we we seek that need to be trialed, that need to be tested, uh, or need to be seen. You ha- now have an opportunity to still go see them, um, and they might only carry one in stock. They might only carry a handful because they know you're going to customize it anyway and order it online. Right. Uh, or now they'll order it from the store for you, and now you get free shipping. So there's so many different permutations of how this 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 new uh, method of shopping and and showrooming works. Uh, and for people like you who want to buy a computer and, and touch it and feel it first, or people like my wife who want to try and, you know, address it free people or anthropology first. Now you have, you're the best of both worlds. You can return to that store. You can try on that store, but not walk out with a product. You can have people deliver it to your house for free. Uh, if you're traveling and you see something else uh, at, a, at a different location, there's so many different ways to do this. And, and uh, it's going to continue to permeate that way. And brands are going to start oozing these different ways of, of getting you not only the product, but the service and Kind of more importantly, their their brand equity will start to to be those things themselves that they offer you that other brands aren't able to or haven't thought of. Speaking of things I never thought of, <laughs> it actually never crossed my conscious mind that there's a model out there where you have retail establishments that begin with an online presence mm-hmm. and then add physical presence. I didn't even think that such a thing was possible until you just explained it to me i always thought that rationally you have a business that starts they have a physical presence often it's a local business because it starts in one place and then it branches out or franchises out and the online presence kicks in as and after it gains a reputation yeah it didn't it it never it never occurred to me they would sell it online first and then plant stakes yeah, and it's it's completely different than it used to be, and I think people a lot of people credit um, uh, Andy Dunn, the founder of Bonobos. He he eventually sold to Walmart, uh, but kind of as the inventor of this. But look, there's there's so many these days. Um, you know, I mentioned Peloton. Peloton started 
you know, digitally first. And then they started opening stores. Tesla, to some extent, doesn't really have Tesla dealerships any, anywhere. Right. It's online, but you have a couple of different mall examples or, or some places. Uh, Glossier, women's makeup, classic example of the last few years. Away, the luggage company, uh, Away.com, they started online only. So it's kind of a, it's, a, it's an easy way to go to market now. You know, again, if you have a viable brand that can do so, uh, and you're investing in, in different ways. I mean, the, there's, there's still barrier to entry. There's still a cost in, associated, but instead of instead of the square footage in Manhattan, now you're talking about cost per acquisition, you know, costs and your website build and inventory and, and that makeup. But it's still it's the same type of thing. It's just you know uh, quite literally reversed. Yeah, you just had me binging the Yahoo all the Googles because I was curious as to whether there actually are Tesla dealerships. It turns out that Las Vegas has one. Now, I don't want to uh, be distracted from your brilliance and your passion, which you're sharing with us by reading this right now, but just glancing off the graph data on the search engine page with the results, I'm seeing that I'm getting a sense that it's not your traditional type of dealership where they may have like one of each kind of Tesla there, uh, but it's actually more of a more of a like a service center and more of a customer and more of a customer center than uh, like a traditional dealership yeah i would i would challenge the dealership uh you know moniker on that one i think it's probably more of a showroom it's more yeah. of an it's more of an experience uh you know I, I i'm not super educated on on how they service their automobiles and and where you go to do that i'm sure there's there there have to be places like that for them however yeah. those those experiences typically in malls or you know new kind of fashion luxury areas of town. We all have them in different towns, you know, where all the luxury brands are. You'll see these kind of experiences where you can't even drive the car. I mean, you can't leave the inside of the mall with a Tesla. You're just, you just look at it. It's, it's not even, you can't even turn it on. So it's, they're interesting, but there's, again, there's so many different examples of this. Um, You're delivering a, a brand promise through other things, not necessarily a physical uh, touch and feel opportunity. Yeah, here's the funny. Here's the funny thing. Uh, I'm looking at the Las Vegas dealership, so to speak, that's here in Las Vegas, and this is. It's actually on. I'm looking at it on the map right now. It's mm-hmm. a few blocks from that restaurant I told you about. <laughs> I drive by the. I drive by this thing all the time. I didn't know it was there. Well, now you know what you're doing Friday night. Exactly. Dinner in, dinner in Tesla. Exactly. Dinner and Tesla. So instead of Netflix and chill, it's dinner and Tesla. Got it. Yeah. I don't, I mean, next time I, next time I drive by there, I'm going to see if I see a Tesla sign that, 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 that particular stretch of that, that Avenue is where they have a whole bunch of dealerships lined up. I never saw a Tesla sign. So that tells you it's something different. Now it looks like they do, they service the Teslas and you can schedule a test drive and things like that. So again, to your point, it's kind of the experience. And myself, I know people who have Teslas and every single one of them has a story about how long they waited after they ordered it. There's not a single story of, I went to the Tesla dealership, threw down my, threw down my money and walked out with one. That doesn't exist. No, it doesn't exist, but they're building that, that aspirational kind of like anticipation. You know, it's like, it's almost like you become part of a club if you sign up for one and then, you know, you, you know, you build it online or whatever, and then you get, you finally get delivery of it. That's, 
that little bit in there is really powerful for them because um, how they, you know, how they treat you, how they send things to you, it's, oh, it's being built or it's on its way. I mean, this, all these touch points that, that continue to get you jazzed. So when that car shows up, you're even more excited than had you bought it at a dealership and drove away with it. Um, it it's, it's interesting. If you think about the, you know, the, the, the psychology behind that, um, it's, it's, it's quite different than uh, another experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm reading there. I'm reading Tesla's uh, description of how this works. Uh, you can test drive it. However, you must make an appointment with the dealer or go to Tesla.com and schedule the test drive. You can't. You cannot just walk into it. That might be why they don't have a huge sign out in front because they know who their audience are. And these are people to come seek them out. They don't have to go looking for them. It's like, uh, it's like, why do you never see a commercial for a Ferrari on TV? Because they don't need to run commercials. Their right. customers know what Ferrari is and they go find the Ferrari, not the other way around. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you is we're starting to see more and more of this, even in the retail space. They have a relationship or an emotional connection to the brand. So they seek the brand out rather than it's simply being a matter of the brand puts up a bunch of signs and buys a bunch of ads and hopes, hopes people notice. Well, well you're, and you're right. And to stand the Tesla analogy, my, my 12-year-old daughter, for whatever reason, is in love with Tesla's. And so she, every time she sees one, she goes, there's a Tesla, there's a Tesla. She can pick out the models, the three, the five from a distance. I can't. And even just yesterday, we were just in, in Boulder, Colorado, visiting our eldest one. And, and while we were there, there's a lot of them in that town. And, and where I live in Greenville, South Carolina, they're a little bit more hard to come by. But my point is that when she sees them, she's starting to recognize, she starts seeing more and more and more of them. And it's one of those deals where, you see it and you kind of with your Ferrari example or your Lamborghini or whatever it might be, you start going, wow, that is attainable, or maybe I can get it, or there's another one I saw, maybe there's more, maybe it's more accessible. It's still this aspirational brand. And, and gosh, it's on so many levels. Tesla, we could dissect Tesla in, in its own podcast and really what their brand essence is. I would, I would argue it's not even cars at all. Um, it's kind of like yeah. the future, right? And that's what Elon Musk would say. But there's so many different things you just start going, are they, did they fall into this? Is this accidental? Is it accidental aspiration or is it something that really they were, they were thinking through? I think they beget each other as things there's high demand and then people order them. There's a wait list. They finally get them. People see them. The neighbors want them. They covet them. And it's just this cycle that goes on and on. So I'd love to see how, how that plays out in the next couple of years as they continue to make more and more vehicles on the road. But it's, again, it's really fascinating. And as a disruptor, I mean, there's a lot of people who didn't want him to come out with this car. Oh, a long time. I remember. And uh, I remember hearing stories like in New Jersey, uh, you had you had Governor Chris Christie made a big, big, big fuss over Tesla coming to his state. Yeah, it, it's it, you they, know, they they were not happy to see Tesla around because they saw the disruption coming. You're used to, you know, Ford, Chevy, uh, Toyota, Honda, Mazda, sometimes different combinations, depending on who has what franchise license and what city or what have you. And they're used to the idea, oh, no, 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 no. People come to us 
They walk to our lot. We put them in a car. We drive them around. Then we put the squeeze on them. We drag them through the finance office. We make them sign on the dotted line. Then we wash it and do a big applause ceremony when they drive off with it that day. No, 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 no. We don't want the, the, the bespoke company coming in and chasing people off our lots. No, no, no. It's not happening. So yeah. some, so in different places around the country, there were actually discussions about banning the Tesla model from coming to their neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think a lot of that also had to do with the factory. I think they wanted to put there, but you're right. It was, it was new and different. And all of a sudden you're going, well, why is that guy allowed to be here? And, you know, and other ones are working harder at it. And, you know, it's all that stuff is it, people are scared of, of the new, um, you know, and, and that's what happens. So um, yeah, but it's interesting. If you look at it, there's so many different ways of attacking a market and we've named a bunch of them that do it in very different ways and when they do uh sometimes they work and and when they do work it's it's a great story would you like to send our listeners off with something they can work on right now uh give me an example like what do you mean just go think about something or or well well yeah we have we have about 10 minutes left here and i was thinking i'd like to put them to work uh we're actually going to give them some homework if you don't mind okay you have some questions that brands should ask themselves about their brand, their market, and their competition before they do rebranding. We've covered some of the, largely through anecdote and Socratic storytelling, we've covered some of the reasons why rebranding and retooling is necessary. But what are some of the questions they need to ask themselves about brand market and competition before they do that? Uh, I mean, again, that's a, that's a podcast in and of itself, right? But- yeah. The interesting thing about that is if, if, if you're listening and you're thinking about a rebrand um, at all or, or what it takes to, to build a brand, um, I, I would let me just first answer that with a quick anecdote since that's what we've been doing so far. Yeah. Uh, if, if you closed your eyes and you thought about Nike and I said, Nike just announced they're going to start an airline and uh, describe for me what the plane looks like, what the colors are, uh, maybe what the food is, um, what they're showing on on the television uh, what the flight attendants are wearing. And if we kind of compared notes, we're probably all going to come up with something very similar. And that's going to be something like, there's going to be orange somewhere. It's going to be a swoosh on the tail, probably. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're all probably going to be wearing, you know, sneakers or trainers on their, on their feet. Um, probably some sort of like quick wicking athletic wear that they're wearing. Uh, the food's going to be healthy. It's on the TV is probably going to be ESPN, something like that. And if you think about that. Yeah. I saw a lot of blue for some reason. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, but in general, we come up with something that's quite similar because we know them so well. We, we have a visual idea. We have a feeling that's associated with, with that company, uh, Nike. And so when you're looking at your own brand, now they have a lot of equity years and years and, and a lot of money and time and great products that have gone into that, why we can do that. But if you're starting a company, I mean, ask yourself, you know, what is your essence? What is your brand essence? Can you say that in two or three words? Come up with your vision statement. You know, why, why did you yeah, Why did you want to do what you're doing? Sell your service or product or, you know, make something, uh, you know, what is that? What's your mission? What do you want to accomplish in the future because of this business that you created? You know, that's your mission statement. I would look at your values. Um, what do you value in your product or service or inherently in your business? What are your differentiators compared to uh, people in the marketplace? If you're new on the scene, 
Um, why are you new? Why would people care? And start asking yourself these questions. I think a lot of times where a company like um, ours is beneficial is to really challenge people on those ideas. Um, we have a lot of people who come say, oh, we have a mission statement. And it's not really a mission statement. It's kind of like, you know, I wanted to start a new car company because I love cars. Well, that's not really a mission statement. I I'm making that up. That never happened. But, you know, that idea. So working with people to, to really challenge them. And, and <laughs> we've had a lot of people go, wow, I don't think I should start a company. Or... I've, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to do this instead of that. I'm going to focus on this area because there's an opportunity in the, in the marketplace for me. I'm going to position my brand in a way when that could be by price, by quality, by uh, whatever you're doing. Um, if you, if you look at the late Tony Shea's company, Zappos and zappos.com yep. uh, very quickly, he said, Oh, actually he moved to your neck of the woods in Las Vegas. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he was involved in revitalizing the downtown. That yeah. jerk was all to have a tiny house. <laughs> oh, he was, I want he was, I want a tiny house. Yeah. My, yeah. my experience with Zappos, the first time I heard of them was many, 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 many moons ago. Somebody told me there was a shoe company called Zappos that if you called them in order, if you called them in order to pizza, they'd have it delivered to you. I tested it. It actually happened. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, and that was in his book, uh, delivering happiness, but yeah, that's my point. Exactly. You just illustrated my point. And that is they wanted to be known for the best customer service in the world. And soon after they launched a, you know, they were the first online uh, reseller of other people's shoes because they didn't know if it would even work. So they had a little test program. They proved the concept that, yeah, people would order shoes online. Um, and yeah, there might be a high return rate, but if you keep them happy and if you keep them with, you know, you know, free shipping until it fits and so forth. And that quickly turned into how to treat people. And, and he said uh, very early on that he doesn't have a shoe company. You know, he's in the customer service business. They just happen to sell shoes. Right. And so when you look at that and you go, it doesn't matter what they sell. They're selling, it, to his book's point, they're selling happiness. And just to your, your story right there, because that is true in the book, he's, he pre-proved to somebody that they would do it and they will do it for you because they are the kindest, nicest people in the world, but they're trained to do that. That is their brand. Their brand is is happiness. Their brand is uh, is getting you the right thing. And I've heard so. I, you know, I I used to send my customer service team to their training, and you know they'll tell you that if if they don't have a product or they got the wrong one at somebody's wedding or a big event, they'll find a local store and they have the right through like this little surprise and delight program. They'll buy something from a local mall and call someone and say, hey, your your product's actually there. You know, uh, and you can go pick it up. It's on us. I mean, they're. That opportunity, you think, well, they're going to lose money. Well, no, what they've done is they've built a lifetime customer. So their lifetime value has increased. It is, but getting back to the point of that is a brand. So what do you want to be known for? What's your legacy? What, what do you want your company to stand for? And those are the kind of things that we can help with. So, okay, so let's get back to the homework. I would say if you're thinking about a rebrand or starting a company and you need a brand, um, think about those those things. What is your product or service? How are you going to be known? How do you want to be known or referred to? Everyone's going to say the best or the leader or whatever, but let's let's have a little gut check. You know, where can you put yourself in the marketplace? Are you a disruptor? Can you be? Um, how are you going to appropriate yourself to those customers? Are you going to go where they are? Are you going to have them come to where you are uh, it, and, and change that? Is your position going to be as a differentiator or or just I'm going to do I'm going to build a better mousetrap? And so think about those and then start crafting down, uh, crafting your, your brand values and start writing them down. What is important to the business? At that point, it gets a little bit more sophisticated. We start talking about tone and voice and how to speak to your customers. And I'll, I'll save people that, you know, uh, conversation. 
But think about who you are. Um, bring up a list of competitors in that space, and where would you plot yourself? You know, uh, plot it on a on a vertical uh, and horizontal axis of quality and cost, or um, customer service and awareness, or whatever it might be, and and plot your uh, your competition or who you think your competition could be, and and put yourself against them. Do you want to be known for this or that? Uh, and then start building the brand from there. Building a brand takes time. Building a company might be easier. Building a brand takes time. So I would say, think about those things, write those things down. Uh, and if you need help, we have a great free guide you can download at our website, thebrandleader.com. It's called the ultimate guide to rebranding. And while it sounds like it's all for rebrands, it really just explains a lot of the things I just talked about. It gives you a little bit of a workbook that you can look through and help you along your journey. Wow, you just answered my final question, which is, uh, you know, where can our people go when they want to take this to the next level? So simply go to thebrandleader.com, www.thebrandleader.com, and they can find that guide. In fact, I'm on the website. I'm looking at it right now. I'm probably going to grab it for myself. Uh, I see it in a couple of different places on the webpage. I'm not going to say exactly where, but I'll just say it's very easy for the people to find just in case you rebrand and somebody's listening to this two years from now, because I believe your content is so evergreen in terms of its adaptability that I don't want to get stuck with that. But yeah, the free branding guide is in fact there. It's looks really, really cool. I'm going to have to sign up for this myself and, and take a look at it for myself. So yeah, what I got, yeah. Great. yeah, yeah. And it's free. So yeah, what I got out of that is you know, really taking a good, clear, Un, you know, unbiased look at what you actually want to accomplish. And the thing that I'm latching on is, you know, do you want to be a disruptor? That's, that's what jumps out at me. Yeah. I know. I, I'm, I'm aware, I'm aware, I'm aware of companies that understand that their market actually consists of about 20 people in the entire world. There's not much for them to disrupt because what they do is so specialized and so niched that nobody can touch it. They don't need to disrupt. All they need is to uh, is to keep those 20 people around. And when the 21st shows up, make sure that they don't try and go reinvent it themselves. But exactly. for commoditized and retail and things along those lines, yeah, I randomly, almost 20 years ago, somebody mentioned me, there was this crazy shoe company called Zappos that if you called there and ordered a pizza, you'd actually get a pizza delivered to your door. And I tested it and it worked. Yeah, I, I knew their name from that point forward. Of course. Yeah. And, and again, that is a brand. It's kind of like you remember the people in your life who, who treated you well or had great character, uh, who said great things, uh, who did good for others. You remember those people who achieved greatness. Uh -huh. I mean, those are the ones you remember, the ones that, you know, that are the wallflowers that treat you poorly. Um, you either don't remember or you remember without a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of honor and grace. So I would yeah. say, you know, that is, a brand is the same thing. A business can be, have that same connection with people. Yeah. I mean, now a traditional look might be, why are you wasting time gabbing with people about pizza and other bullshit? We sell shoes, put shoes on them and get the money and get them out the door. Okay. So now you've sold one pair of shoes. Yeah. Now yeah. maybe they. But now maybe. Now maybe. Now, now maybe when I called for. Now maybe when I called to test that theory, I wasn't in the market for shoes, but uh, I probably told a hundred people this story. Ninety-nine of whom would probably never even heard of Tony Shea or read his book. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm willing to bet you the fifteen of them eventually found their way to Zappos.com and become paying customers. 
Well, of course. So what, they, they, so what they did is they put me to work for them as their unpaid salesperson. Uh, that was just a byproduct, you know, yeah. it was just a byproduct because, you know, they don't sell, sell shoes. They, they sell happiness. And so that, exactly. that's, their thing, you know, so that's, um, yeah. I mean, I yeah. think we sell it all. Yep. So once again, uh, tell everybody, go to www.thebrandleader.com, get the free rebranding guide. So Kyle Duford, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, definitely a fun conversation, Adam. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.